following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We continue our study in the book of Philippians this morning. Um, we're going to look at chapter 3, <laughs> verse 1 through 7. That's a page 981 in a pew Bible. Last week, uh, you are here, we examined uh, the example that you have of two brothers in Christ who were uh, served as servants to the Lord and uh, to the church. Timothy and Epaphroditus. We, sorry, we learn from their example that to be concerned for the needs and welfare of others, specifically the church, was to truly seek the interests of Christ. In our text this morning, we are going to find uh, what is, I think, the fuel to that fire of serving others, the secret to selfless service to the Savior. <sighs> That's what I was nervous about. Now I can't talk right. <laughs> so we'll look at Philippians 3, 1 through 7 together. Finally, m my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel to the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak to us through it. We know these are your words, and we need your help to understand the message that you have for us. <coughs> I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak even through my broken voice, uh, to communicate the truth uh, to people who have gathered here to hear it this morning. We long to hear from you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we look for um, the single point in a sermon, you should celebrate there's only one, not three. 
If we're looking for that single point, it would be right there in Paul's first sentence. Finally, my brothers, Greek word mean brother and sister. Uh, finally, my brothers and sisters rejoiced in the Lord. That's the point. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> We've got to get to camp. Come on. <laughs> Everything else that Paul says in this uh, passage reinforces the point rejoice in the Lord um, well that's great so we need to understand a little bit further because I want to make sure you get your money's worth out of this sermon um, I plan on speaking for at least an hour and a half yeah <laughs> well, the first half will be on the Bible, and the rest will be on baseball, so <laughs> careful what you wish for. So rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, to rejoice means to uh, enjoy a state of happiness, right, a well-being. So to rejoice in the Lord is to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being as a result of being connected to the Lord, okay? Um, seem simple, right? Simple concept. That's how we like it. It's simple and easy thing to rejoice in the Lord, isn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Right? Well, if it was a piece of cake all the time, we wouldn't get an instruction in it, would we? This is a command. Paul doesn't say, rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it, or if you're up to it. He say, rejoice in the Lord. Period. Right? This imperative. Is, um, is a command. So if it's so easy, why do we need instruction from Paul to rejoice in the Lord? And if it's so easy, why am I so bad at it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now the rest of this passage this morning is what illustrates the contrast. It kind of explains why we have a hard time with this. It's not whether or not we rejoice, because rejoicing is easy. But rejoicing in the Lord is a different matter. What we rejoice in is where we have the, uh, where we need the instruction. It's the in the Lord part that's the hardest to, for us to handle. If you don't think so, I hope you do by the time I'm finished. If you still don't, we'll have to preach again. Thank you for not laughing that time. <laughs> This is just not going very good. <laughs> All right. So we are commanded as a church to rejoice in the Lord. Because all too often we rejoice in our flesh. We rejoice in ourselves. We rejoice in what we are and what we have accomplished. All right. Uh, now the lesson that we have here is uh, uh, in the text. It's not on pride versus humility. I rejoice in a lot of things that I've done, and I pretend to be humble so that you pay me compliments, <laughs> right? That's a, that's easy, right? But this uh, not uh, this text is not about pride or versus humility. It is a warning against taking confidence in external religion and religious pedigrees to try and earn a place in God's eternal kingdom. Now this is a little tricky but I think it's much more useful 
if we look at it this way. Paul says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, we can have a lot of fun with this. We take this verse on its own, take it out of context. Man, we can really mess some people up. Um, we can cause a lot of damage. If this is taken wrong, put in the wrong hands, can destroy the church. We could very easily interpret this, uh, this to mean that we, as Christians, should avoid sinners. Well, okay. Doesn't that make life a little more easy? <laughs> we couldn't leave our house, but, uh, you know, I don't like leaving my house. I want to stay there, so not bad. We could very easily interpret this to mean that we, as Christians, should avoid the bad guys. We should avoid, we should avoid tattoo artists and the people who do body piercings. Says, mutilate the flesh here, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. Not so simple anymore, is it? Right? We should stay away from non-religious people because they are bad. And good thing we are good, but they are bad, and we don't want them to spoil our goodness. Don't smoke, drink, swear, or chew, and never date the girls that do. Right? That's what, what the text says, right? This is what we're looking at. Why are you laughing? That's per- certainly what Paul meant, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so predictable. No, that's not what Paul meant. It's not what the Holy Spirit intended for the church. So that's why reading this verse in context is so important. Paul was not addressing non-religious people at all quite the opposite he was condemning religious people he was looking he was condemning people who took confidence in their religion and their outward religious works in order to save themselves to make themselves acceptable to God right he's talking about the the very people we're laughing about they say gotta keep everybody at arm's length you can't don't let them get their sin all over you Right? Paul is warning the church in Philippi to look out for a group of false teachers um, that the scholars call Judaizers. I don't remember if I've mentioned them before. This is a group of uh, religious zealots who taught that faith in Christ was okay, but it's only part of what was required in order to be truly saved. They tried to add on to the finished work of Christ on the cross with strict adherence to the law of the Old Testament. So not only a faith in Christ, but they also had to be circumcised. Not only faith in Christ, but you also have to eat kosher. Not only faith in Christ, but you have to observe the Sabbath day. Right? And how does Paul treat these fellows? He calls them dogs. Now, isn't that nice? They're cuddly and fluffy. Love those guys. 
right? Well, I'm afraid that these are not the kind of cute and fluffy purse-riding dogs who we might like to think of that get pampered and considered part of the family. You try to put my dog in your purse, you're going to need help picking it up. <laughs> he didn't mean pets, right? And it, we have to remember the culture. We have to look backwards to see this context. Uh, this um, in first century uh, Greece, Rome, and uh, Israel, dogs are not pets. They did keep dogs as pets. Um, in that time, uh, dogs were wild. Dogs were vicious, garbage-eating scavengers. Uh, they, they were considered unclean by the Jews and dangerous by everybody. Uh, when Paul called the Judaizers dogs, he used not to pay them a compliment. He says, look out for these dirt bags. They want to eat you up. Uh, see, the, the uh, Jews refer to Gentiles as dogs. So Paul is flipping that on his ear and saying that these Judaizers were the dogs, not the fluffy kind. So he not only called them dogs, vicious scavengers looking to devour people, but also calls them evildoers, just to uh, concrete his point a little bit further. Those who would add more requirements on top of faith in Christ alone, regardless of the age, anyone who would add more requirements on top of faith in Christ alone for salvation are not doing the Lord's work. They are working for the devil. They are working evil and trying to destroy God's church and build up their own. This is very important. We must understand, you must understand, that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You don't add anything else. You don't add attend a church. You don't add pay a tithe. You don't add put a fish bumper sticker on your car. You don't add those things to your faith in order to make you acceptable to God. It's easy to know because you are not acceptable to God. <laughs> Nobody is. Okay? It's simple. The math is simple. We, we offer God nothing and He offers us everything. And that's enough. We don't add. All right? Our life changes as a result. Don't get me wrong. Our life changes as a result. But we, we don't bring anything to the equation. A big, fat goose egg. That's all we got. A zero. And he adds the rest. Well, that's not in the notes, so you're welcome. The Apostle Peter said, excuse me, in Acts 15, 10, that they put God to the test by placing a yoke upon the disciples that neither the disciples nor the Jewish fathers were able to bear. These evildoers that Paul is specifically talking about is uh, adding on adherence to the law, adding on circumcision, adding on kosher diet, all of that, and re requiring religious works on top of faith in Christ for salvation is not just a little bit off. It is pure evil. 
I hope you hear me. Look out for the dogs who want to gobble you up. Look out for the evildoers who want to add to your faith and religious works. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, if we uh, can only read English, this is kind of uh, confusing. But fortunately for us, uh, the Internet offers us lessons in Greek. Um, I don't know if you know that, but this is available to you. This last uh, title, Strather Dubious, for the Judaizers is actually a play, play on words, which always translates, it's difficult to translate uh, a Greek idiom into English. So they kind of play it safe and say, those who mutilate the flesh. Um, those who call themselves the circumcision, Paul calls the mutilation. Okay, so this is where the play on words is. They say, the Jews are saying, we are the circumcision. Paul says, no, you're not. You're the mutilation. Because, um, well, I'll explain it. I don't have to explain it. I'll explain it. Circumcision is a Jewish ritual that the Judaizers said must be performed on any Gentile who came to faith in Jesus so that they could be truly saved. But circumcision not required for salvation. Just as we know baptism is not required for salvation, right? It's simply faith in Jesus. We don't add anything else. Their circumcision in the flesh was simply an act of religious mutilation. And it had no eternal value at all. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for the mutilation. For we are the circumcision. They're the mutilation. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 2.29 that circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. You see, what Paul is doing is he is contrasting two systems of salvation. One a true and one a false. One of the spirit and one of the flesh. One comprised of religious rules that lead only to oppression and control. And one comprised of faith and love and joy that leads to freedom. This old system of confidence in the flesh and confidence in strict in adherence to the rules, I would love to be able to stand here and say that system is dead and gone. But it's not. It's alive and well, unfortunately. Now, there may not be a lot of people attempting to make those who would be Christians be Jewish first. Uh, we don't hear much about that, forcing people to follow the law of Moses. But there are certainly people out there who would add the burden of following a set of man-made rules in order to please God. A system of check boxes and empty rituals. 
that would add on to simple faith in Christ. That way of thinking is exactly what Paul called putting confidence in the flesh. Right? Because that's what we do, right? We say, okay, faith in Jesus, sure. But I also have to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, in order to keep him happy with me. This putting confidence in our pedigrees and confidence in our own religious zeal, confidence in our own religious accomplishments, as if the Lord should be truly impressed with all that we are and have done. Um, you see it in pastor studies. You can go walk into a pastor's office and all kinds of piece of paper mounted to the wall. Look at my pedigree. I've gone to Bible college and a seminary, and I'm a doctor, and blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. This uh, good education is wonderful. I have some pieces of paper. I don't know where they are right now. <laughs> and I'm not saying because I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just saying we can Who is hard to impress? Uh, it is, I don't know. I shouldn't have said anything about that. Paul says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, you couldn't get more Jewish than the Apostle Paul, right? And he saw the standard of what it, what it was. He was circumcised when he was eight days old because he was born to Jewish parents. He's not a Gentile convert. He's, he's Jewish from the beginning to the bone, right? He, wasn't, uh, he was an Israelite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and that's an even higher level, right? It's the tribe of Benjamin stayed loyal to King David when the, when the nation of Israel split. Benjamin stayed with the king, right? This, oof. This is even more Jewish than Jewish, right? This, right? This, um, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrew, right? He made regular Jewish look like a bunch of slackers. He's the real thing. He's a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law, not just, uh, uh, I mean, just not just know the law, teach the law, right? Um, he studied under Rabbi Gamaliel, who was no slacker himself. He was so zealous for his religion that he persecuted those who tried to challenge their teaching, namely the church. Right? And he persecuted them to death. He was zealous for his religion. He was the one who watched over the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Remember? The first martyr. There's Paul putting his seal of approval on the egg. He could be accused by no man for violating the law of Moses. He was blameless in the sight of men. That's what it says. As far as righteousness under the law, blameless. There's nothing anybody could accuse him of. Paul had the religious pedigree that would put these Judaizers to shame. Right? He had more reason to be confident in his own flesh than any of them. But. It's our favorite Bible word. But. But, in verse 7, 
Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul turned his back on his pedigree. He turned his back on all the Jews said would make him acceptable to God. He was the top of the mountain, and he said, I counted as loss. He did so for the sake of Christ. Faith in Jesus was enough for this man to turn away from all he knew, all he had been taught about how it was, uh, how it was what he did on the outside that made him acceptable to God. Turn his back on all of that. And the thing is, it's about perspective. Because when we focus on external religion, external religion makes people look away from the indwelling Lord. All right? External religion places the emphasis on the work that we do for God, not on the work Christ did for us on the cross. That's the point here. The instruction that we have here is the same that we saw in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your flesh. Don't rejoice in your pedigree. Don't rejoice in yourself. When our focus is merely on the external, not only do we lose sight of what is internal, we lose sight of what is eternal. Because it's just about us. And who are we trying to really make ourselves acceptable to? Right? Because it's not good, is it? Everybody watching. And I'm sorry, but who the heck cares what you think? What, what good does that do? Who are you fooling? You might fool everybody. You fool me, you come in, talk, meet in my office, and we talk about your faith and your life and all the things you've promised, and you can lie right to my face. Number one, I won't know because I just can't. Um, anybody won't do you any good. You want my seal of approval? You can have it. Oh, we rubber stamp everybody. What good does that do? What's it good? doesn't do any good for anybody, right? What's most important about what is internal? It's not who we are inside either. It's not just what we do or what we've done or what we've accomplished. It's not about who we are inside either. The greatest love of all, <laughs> right? Inside of me, however that dumb song goes. <laughs> it's not what we are inside. It's who is inside of us. What Paul called in Colossians 1.27, the great mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not, not all your stuff, the hope of glory, all you've done and all the good you're doing, the hope of glory. It's worthless. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
don't rejoice in your flesh. Rejoice in the Lord who is in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we are so thankful that you give us opportunity to know you and to have you dwell inside of us by your Holy Spirit simply through trusting in you. Trust in who you are, what you have done for us on the cross, knowing that you took our place, you took our sin, you took the punishment for all the evil that you have ever done and will ever do. And you allow us to be forgiven simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, your word says that we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from any unrighteousness. So, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not uh, confessed their sin to you and received the gift of salvation through forgiveness in Christ, that this morning they would confess to you their need for a Savior, a need for forgiveness, and receive it from you that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of them by faith. We thank you for your great grace that allows us to be forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that now that you have forgiven us, that you've made us new, and that we can faithfully follow the Lord Jesus and his teaching out of love, not empty religion, but gratitude. For your great love for us. We do love you Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus name. Amen. If you would like to participate. In the mission of Crossroads Church. Through financial support. Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church. Post Office Box 576. West Ossipee, New Hampshire. 03890.